0: afternoons. With me, I'm Bill Arnold, and it is uh, that time of the week where we uh, dive back into our series of people from the Old Testament, and today we're going to talk about Job, and I can hardly wait. Dr. Peter Kapsner will not be joining me today. He's busy today uh, traveling, but uh, we're looking forward to having him back on the program as well. Um, uh, Pastor Andy Davis is the uh, pastor of First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. He's a member of the Gospel Coalition, He's author of The Power of Christian Contentment. And we're always glad to have him on. I think um, this is going to be maybe month seven or so of doing the seven or eight, doing the Old Testament series. And each week I get excited. And Rosie's nodding her head yes, as she is too. Andy, welcome back to the show. Bill, it's great to be with you today. Thank you. So. You know that that question: Why does bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. We would have to have Job as the poster boy for that, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's a question that many people ask, and Job uh, is God's answer.
0: Yeah, and and the life of of Job seems to reveal that we are oftentimes unaware of the of the many ways that God is at work in the lives of our uh, of us throughout our our lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think. Uh, we're going to see as we walk through the Book of Job how the trouble starts in the heavenly realms, and Job isn't aware of it, and right. it never gets discussed with Job. He doesn't know. We know more as the readers than Job knew when it was going on. Although obviously he knows now. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there's there's spiritual dimensions to our suffering that uh, that we can uh, scarcely fathom.
0: Yeah, and Andy is is Job the oldest book in the Old Testament?
1: Yeah, it's a, that's an argument from silence. Okay, uh, a lot of people say that it's just because of what Job doesn't contain. It doesn't contain any mention of Abraham okay. or of uh, Moses, and so many people do that. But I, I consider it a little speculative. So I don't know. Is yeah, my answer.
0: but he's got uh, quite a family. He's got a beautiful mm-hmm. family. He's got a nice. Uh, yeah. He's got a, a nice amount of wealth. I mean, he's got a lot going for him. So where do we start dissecting this amazing story? Yeah, so I think let's start with
1: where we're at and uh I preached 31 sermons through the book of Job it was an amazing uh journey and I felt led by the Lord to do it just because uh, we had just been through a very tough year in the year 2020 uh with the covid pandemic with so many things happening that were rending the fabric of of our nation in a lot of ways it just seemed like a good chance to to look at the issue of suffering and so this is a very relevant book i mean you mentioned it yourself a moment ago i always want to see how does uh how does the bible connect with our present lives and the issue of suffering of grief and sorrow is is a major issue it's something we face very acutely and uh, it's something we also face as witnesses uh, because people bring Uh, Up, oftentimes, as you yourself said, uh, this issue as basically proof positive that a good, loving, powerful God cannot exist because of all the sorrow and suffering we see in the world. Mm -hmm. So, um, but more than anything, for me as a pastor, uh, when I get up to preach, I have one goal, uh, central goal: the glory of God is uh, over everything we do. But specifically in this, uh, the issue of preaching, First Timothy four. Uh, verse 16, Paul says that if you proclaim the word of God, if you preach and teach accurately, he said, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. That's Paul speaking to Timothy. Uh, so salvation's a process. Justification happens in an instant. Forgiveness of sins. Um, but then we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And the problem of suffering is so acute that it is one of the major issues we'll ever have to face in life. So my desire as I preach through these 31 sermons is to try to help my people uh, to suffer well, fundamentally, that we would learn to suffer well, and so that was my
0: goal. Andy, you're reminding me how much I like you. <laughs> last uh, last half hour, we talked uh, to an author who wrote a book called Tough Guys of the Bible, and mm-hmm. the premise is that the that, you know is Psalm one eighteen six that the Lord is on my side; I will not fear. What can man mm-hmm. do to me? And mm-hmm. I think of Job. I mean, he was blameless and upright. Yeah. He feared God and shunned evil. I like this guy, yeah. Job. Yeah he's a powerful
1: example for us um he's a uh, a unique individual i mean on planet earth he was one the one man singled out by god that he boasted about concerning uh job have you considered my servant job he said to satan and so he's he's unique and in his righteousness the fact that that satan doesn't in any way counter that doesn't say oh, what about this what about that no he he concedes the point Um, But he believes that he can compel Job to sin. And so Job's an amazing man, and there's so many characteristics of Job that are worth emulating. But uh, there's other aspects to the book of Job. I mean, the first two chapters, as we go through, are well-known. You know, as you said, we were introduced to this this individual. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God, shuns evil. Uh, He's wealthy, as you said, has a, a big family. Um, But he's also very pious, Um, and so he's concerned about uh, not just overt and open sin, but perhaps that his children may have sinned uh, and cursed God in their hearts. And so he offers sacrifices. He's got a secret piety as well as a public piety, and so he is what he appears to be, a a truly righteous man. And then the trial comes about, as you mentioned, um, triggered by Satan's accusation. The word Satan means accuser, and he is the accuser in the heavenly realms of uh, this righteous man and he says i can manipulate this because you put a hedge around him a hedge of protection around him and everything he has but if you pull that back i will make him curse you to your face and so god allows um, satan to move out and take away his possessions his beautiful children's ten children they're grown uh they're not little kids but they're grown because they're feasting in the older brother's home and uh, they all die in one day Mm -hmm. Uh, it's one of the most devastating stories ever and yet, in all of that, Job um, maintained his faithfulness to God. He said uh, he did not cur- he did not curse God to his face at all. He he trusted God through all of that, and so we see some amazing attributes. And then phase two, um, Satan comes back a second time. And he's resilient. He's persistent in a very dark, twisted way. He won't give up on this. And um, he says, "Well, look, if you attack his." His uh, health, if you attack his body, then he will curse you to your face. And so, again, God puts limits. He said, all right, you can make him sick, but you can't kill him. And so Satan goes out and brings about this terrible suffering. And um, then then we begin the dialogues. And the dialogues are, are quite a journey. And that was it was hard for me to figure out how to preach through that. Uh, it's not actually often done but uh from job 3 through 31 we've got a cycle of of dialogues that uh, make up the meat of the of the book.
0: Yeah. Well, you have 38 minutes left to um to uh <laughs> process 31 sermons. So, good luck. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, we'll do our best.
0: Yeah. We'll our best. I mean, I really do want to follow your your, your leading on this cuz I know your head is so full of teaching on Job. I yeah. I, I want to make sure that you um uh, again, you you you're the golfer. I'm just I'm just your caddy. <laughs> I'm just carrying the bag. All right.
1: Well, I would say the central, the central issue here and the central reason that it's in the canon uh, is to help God's people suffer well. And and so for me to try to understand what does that mean to suffer well? And I think what it means is to, to let God bring suffering into your life without you accusing him of wrongdoing, without you cursing God, without you being estranged from God. So that's putting it negatively, more positively. I, there's one verse, I think, that sums up this aspect of the book of Job for me very well. And that's Job 13:15. though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Wow. Um, and that's, I mean, to, to that point, no matter what God brings into my life, when we think about the three categories of suffering, which is your possessions, your loved ones, and your health. Uh, no matter what God brings in those three categories, I will continue to hope in him. I will continue continue to trust in him. That's suffering well. And so I want to learn to draw close to God. I don't want to charge him with wrongdoing. I don't want to vent and complain against him in a sinful way. I want to be filled with hope. And hope is a strong sense in the heart that the future is bright based on the promises of God so the way I define it, a sense, a feeling that you have that the future is bright based on the promises of God. So I think the book of Job will help us to get the most out of what God intends uh, by bringing suffering into our lives. He, he intends to bring suffering. It's not accidental. It's going to happen. And so I said to my people as I was preaching to this, it was a very serious moment in one of these sermons. I said, I say this to you with all gravity. And with all a sense of tender affection in my heart, you will need this book at some point in your life. Yeah, so true. And uh, I want to get you ready for that. But here's one of the central insights that I had—one of the most fascinating insights—and that is this. And it hit me as I was driving home late one night after a meeting at church. And I called my son his way to college, and we had a great conversation. He loves the Lord, and we had a good conversation. And something hit me, and I said this: You know, Job was a, a better man than we'll ever be but we have a better hope than he ever had. And uh, and I was so, it was like a flash of insight. And I told my son, Calvin, I said, hey, write that down because I was driving. And, and then text it, text it back to me. Mm-hmm. Now, the concept of a better hope comes right from the book of Hebrews. It's, it's direct verbiage from Hebrews. It says in Hebrews 7, um, the former regulation, the old covenant regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless for the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to god book of hebrews also says we have better promises so you look at where job was at in redemptive history um maybe it was before before abraham uh maybe it was before moses we don't know but we know this it was definitely before the resurrection of christ and job doesn't seem to know what to do with the grave um, he speaks sometimes like a hopeless man like he doesn't know what will happen if he draws to the grave? He can't praise God. That's it. That's the end of it. He doesn't seem to have a hope in final resurrection. There is one part uh, in Job 19 where he, where he says, I know that in my flesh I will see God. And so there's that glimmer, but there are other verses that seem to contradict that. And so he's wrestling, he's struggling because he doesn't have what we have. And what we have is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the entire New Testament based on the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hmm. It gives us a better hope, and we have better promises. So he dealt with what he had to deal with better than we ever would have, but we're just at a better place. We can suffer like Paul did, where where he says, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm not afraid to die. It's better by far, actually, for me to go and be with Christ. Job doesn't seem to have that level of of, uh, resurrection hope, and I think that's it's a beautiful insight that I had, though Job was a better man than uh, we will ever be. he ha- We have a better hope than he had, and so we can suffer better uh, than Job
0: did at some key moments. Mm-hmm. I wished I didn't have to take breaks, but I do. So okay. I'm going to um, take a short one. We'll be right back with uh, Pastor Andy Davis. We're obviously talking about Job today as we're continuing our series of people from the Old Testament. Be right back. With Pastor Andy Davis, we're talking about Job today in our Old Testament series, and so far, Andy this has been riveting. And I, I just during the break, I was, I was thinking how Job uh, never wavered in his thought that God was in control. He mm-hmm. always, always held fast to that idea, mm-hmm. and I love that. Yeah
1: absolutely yeah book of james uh, presents job as a, as an example of patience and suffering mm-hmm. and so these are these are the quality traits if you were to ask you know what what are the traits i love about about job i would start with his godliness his piety um you know blameless and upright a, a secret piety and a public piety alike. he he was what he appeared to be he was not a hypocrite uh and then the the beauty of of that summary in job 31 which is uh, really a corresponding chapter to the Proverbs 31 woman. It's the male version, really, of of a virtuous man. Um, and he, he walks through so many levels of godliness, of purity, you know, making a covenant with his eyes not to look lustfully at a woman and and caring for the poor and needy and sacrificially even having them in his home so that he could meet their needs. It was just an amazing chapter. Um, so his godliness and his patience, as James mentioned, and then his humility and repentance at the end he he acknowledged that the pressures of the suffering brought to the surface some statements he made that were that were ungodly toward god and he had to repent from them so he didn't begin by charging god with wrongdoing and sinning with his mouth but he didn't continue that the trial goes on longer than we wish it would mm-hmm. and there was some deep seated sins that came up and bubbled to the surface because there is only one perfect man that's ever lived and that's jesus christ Uh, And so under those pressures, uh, uh, there were things for which he had to repent, and when God comes to him in the whirlwind and speaks to him and effectively says, where were you when I created everything, and where are you now when I sustain everything by the word of my power, and he is humbled, Um, he repents in, in dust and ashes, and he's an example of repentance as well. These are quality traits I love in Job. That is a fairly large serving of humble pie, isn't it? Oh, my goodness but yet i think it must have been the greatest single moment of his life Hmm. when god spoke to him and and chided him rebuked him out of the whirlwind um i think he he you know went to his grave whenever he died eventually he died old and full of years and blessed but that was the greatest single moment of his life when god spoke to him i've heard of you with my ears but now my eyes have seen you and i repent you know it's just powerful but how much better heaven to see him at last, finally, Mm face-to-face. So as you walk through Job, um, Job 3-31 through is a cycle of three uh, three, uh, debates or discussions that Job has with his friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And um, it makes the book very, very challenging hermeneutically. It's difficult because God disapproves of what Eliphaz and his two friends said. He said, you know, you did not speak right of me as my servant Job has. But he also disapproves of what Job said. Who is this that darkens counsel by speaking words without knowledge? So um, here we have an, an inerrant or a perfect record of a very imperfect set of statements. And and so uh, it's hard to kind of weave through the statements made by the friends because Paul quotes one of them. He catches the wise in his craftiness. That's one of the life has statements. He quotes it in Corinthians. And so some of what they say is true and some of it isn't. And so it makes the book challenging to interpret. But their basic premise, uh, they come to it again and again, is the law of retribution, that basically people suffer because of their own sins. And God is active in this world to bring about judgment on the evildoer. And he does it in this world. And it's a very simplistic theology. And Job seems to have bought into it and accepts it, but denies the premise that he's wicked. So therefore, he's dealing with, is God unjust toward me? And so he's basically – all of them seem to be dealing with that basic premise, that, that issue, the law of retribution. And uh, so the Eliphaz uh, begins courteously and starts going in and talking to him, trying to bring him about uh, to repentance so that he can – his prosperity will be restored. Uh, but it gets so bad, um, it just goes downhill as they get more and more frustrated with Job as Job defends his righteousness uh they they uh get to the point and life has actually says something like this is not your wickedness endless and and it's just it's a staggering statement because there's simply no proof there's no evidence there's nothing it it, it, it satan would have said something if if there were evidence of all this uh, but he accuses them of injustice to the poor and needy he accuses them of all kinds of wickedness but there's no evidence so he must have been slipping out at night when no one was watching uh, it's just it's but they can't let go of their theology, uh, this law of retribution approach. And so that's what you're working through as you walk through it. In the midst of it, you have uh, many of these statements like, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And so uh, then Eli, um who comes in in the middle, uh, somebody we don't don't know who he is. He just drops in the middle of the account and says uh, things that are very powerful. Uh, it's it's very interesting how to deal with the Elihu statements from 32 to 37, and then um, then God speaks, and basically God gives him a huge helping of natural theology. Basically, uh, the things we can learn about God in nature, the things that God has made, and that He sustains, that He actively rules over, and it shows His wisdom. And the basic premise of God's statements is. If I can create everything as I have and sustain it all, I can manage your life. I'm powerful and wise enough to manage what's going on in your life. You need to trust me. And so that's uh, he you know, brings out 10 different animals and talks about what God does to sustain them, talks about the cosmos first and God creating everything, and then just brings them to repentance. And then he has these statements about um, uh, behemoth and Leviathan, which is one of the most interesting chapters, uh, this this terrifying these two terrifying beasts and the basic premises they are much much more than you can handle no one can take them down and so how can you effectively he says how can you deal with me uh, but god also implies he can he can take them down so many commentators think that in that leviathan is clearly a supernatural evil being in isaiah 27 for example it may well be that leviathan is talking about satan himself And the behemoth, therefore, in the plural, um, may be speaking about demons. But whether behemoth and Leviathan is talking about demons and Satan or not, Satan is there at the beginning, and he's never mentioned again. So it would make sense to kind of finish up with this beast, this powerful um, dragon almost, this fire-breathing dragon who's so powerful that we can't handle him. It makes sense then for us to understand that the thing has come full circle. And that we cannot understand the problem of evil in this world if we don't understand the spiritual dimension, that we have uh, unseen, invisible enemies, demons and, and Satan, that are active in making our lives miserable, but that God powerfully controls them for his own purposes. So the hedge of protection, so to speak, is one of the most significant insights we can ever have in understanding the spiritual dimensions. God is constantly blocking and channeling and restraining and permitting demons and Satan so that his purposes get
0: achieved, and that's comforting. Not only is it comforting, it's it's awesome to think that that is what is happening in our lives, and God is in control and and, and not allowing certain things in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He says yeah. uh, that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. And so right. Satan is on a leash, as which he was with Job. You can do this, but you can't do that. Um, and so—and uh, and the question could come, why doesn't God just, you know, kill Satan now, speak him out of existence? And God could do that, there's no doubt, because everything exists by the will of God, and he is infinitely more powerful than Satan and demons. But it's clear that God is using them to achieve his purposes, uh, to achieve his godly ends. So this is just—that's an overview of the book. Um, I, at the end of this, drew out ten lessons, uh, timeless lessons for my people— and uh, I would love to share as many of those as we have time for.
0: Uh, yeah, we're gonna get, we're gonna get through all ten. And if we don't get through all ten in this hour, we're getting you back, my friend. <laughs> I can I want to go on your website and start the thirty-one sermons. I want to start studying and listening to all of this. This is amazing, Oh, man.
1: I learned so much oh. walking through it, and I and I felt so blessed. I would say there there there's no other book in the Bible that I've studied that has the same presentation of the infinite majesty of God. There's a sense of, uh, like in, in Job 13, it says, would not his majesty terrify you? Would not dread of him come upon you? And so the concept of a theophany uh, of God showing up, and where would we be? We would be on the ground. Um, and so the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, is really taught in this book. It's It's just a majestic thing. And I desired as best I could through preaching
0: and teaching to deliver that to the people who are hearing me. Yeah, so good. Pastor Andy Davis is my guest. We're continuing our study of people of the Old Testament. And today, of course, we're talking about Job. And I already can't wait to listen to this again. And we're not even halfway through it, but we are going to take a short break and we come back more on Job. March here at Faith Radio is we are uh, giving away A Simple Path to Following Jesus. It's a a book written by Rusty George, who's going to be my guest tomorrow at 5 o'clock Central Time. And you can learn more about what it really means to be a Christian and discover how to more effectively share your faith with others. We have a lot of copies, so your odds of winning are really good. All you have to do is enter at MyFaithRadio.com. Head over there right now if you want or after the show. All right, my guest is Pastor Andy Davis, and he is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. We're talking about Job today, and I am riveted and I am so looking forward to getting back to our discussion and the um the ten lessons we can learn.
1: Yeah, ten timeless lessons from the book of Job. And I think one of the questions we always ask is how can how can I take the timeless word of God and apply it to my circumstances? And I think these uh I hope are encouraging to our people and maybe will be to your listeners, Bill. First is, suffering will most certainly come, but don't live in fear. Hmm. Suffering will most certainly come, but don't live in fear. So we need to have a proper view of life under the curse. Uh, Job said in Job five seven, man is born to trouble, as surely as sparks fly upward. I think sometimes we're surprised when troubles come. It's like, what is this? Mm-hmm. I'm not used to it. Um, also, Job fourteen one and 2, man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. He springs up like a flower and withers away like a fleeting shadow. He does not endure. So to not be surprised, to know that suffering is going to come, but to not live in fear, Mm -hmm. not live in fear. Um, I, you know, I see a lot of fear, even like COVID pandemic. A lot of of people I think have been scarred and they're afraid to die. And I think it's a good good witnessing opportunity for us. Uh, to say, hey, there, there is a healer, there is somebody who can heal us now, but there's somebody who offers eternal healing through the resurrection, and we have an opportunity. So we should not dread. Uh, Job said, what I feared most has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. So, uh, you know, we, we're we all like that. There's some things we, we are we're vulnerable. There are things we care about in this world. But God does not want us to live in constant fear of the three categories of loss that Job suffered, the loss of possessions the loss of loved ones, and then the loss of his health. Uh, these are things we can fear. We're vulnerable because we care about those things. Uh, but when we see the final purpose of God in Job's life, um, all his blessings were finally restored to him, though they are, were also temporal. Anything in this world is temporal. The real blessedness comes through faith in Christ and in eternity, not here on earth. Uh, secondly, secondly, you know, if,
0: yeah, if I can just interrupt for a minute, just so you know, we could spend the rest of the half hour on this one alone. It's so significant because as as much as I understand and appreciate suffering will come, but don't live in fear. That's Mm -hmm. a a little sermon that I'm preaching to myself as we speak.
1: So thank you for that. Yeah, Yeah, and in the New Testament, we see Jesus frequently pitting faith against fear. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, he says to Jairus after he finds out that his daughter is dead. Don't be afraid. Just believe. The, the right. two are just—they're just opposites in many cases: faith and fear. Mm-hmm. All right, all right number two. Uh, number two. Love your earthly uh, blessings, but hold them loosely. Mm-hmm. Love your earthly blessings, but hold them loosely. You know, we stand in amazement at how quickly all of Job's earthly blessings were taken from him in a single day, wave upon wave. Right. While the previous servant was still speaking, the next one came, oh. um, and it's gone. And then, in phase two, he lost his health in a single day. So here's the thing. Earthly blessings are, in fact, a delight. They are a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift is from God, all of them. And we should not refuse to partake for fear that we will lose them. You know, it says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. But the book of Job teaches us to hold them loosely. They belong to God, and God has the right to do with them as he sees fit. And that includes so-called our children. Mm-hmm. Um, our children are really not ours. They belong to God. Job himself spoke of his own body being knit together in his mother's womb. He said in Job 10, "'Remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You gave me life and showed me kindness, and in your providence you watched over my spirit.'" Well, that was true of Job's children as well. They belong to God. And much of the trouble comes from us thinking that our money and our homes and our clothes and our bodies and our children are really ours. Mm -hmm. And we forget that we're just stewards of things that ultimately belong to the Creator. So we are vulnerable in this present age. Um, Our wealth can go away quickly. But uh, at the same time, we ought to learn, as James says, to say, if it is the Lord's will, I will live and do this or that.
0: And it reminds me of one of my favorite uh, Corey Ten Boom lines. And she mm-hmm. said, "Never hold on to anything too tightly because it hurts too much when God pries mm-hmm. your fingers open." That's so true. That's so true.
1: And so, uh, but we don't want to be ascetics either. I get it. Um, you know, there there needs to be a balance there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number three, understand Satan's relentless hatred, and also the hedge of protection. Bill, we talked about this, but this is a very powerful concept. The book of Job clearly reveals the hidden activities of Satan. He's up in the heavenly realms, God says to him, where have you come from? And Satan says, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. It was his accusations of Job that prompted all the tests that God allowed, stretch out your hand and strike him and everything that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So his direct involvement in Job's sickness implied he was just as directly involved in chapter 1. It was it was basically Satan that did it. Satan went out in Job 2.7 from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. So Satan does that. He's a roaring lion prowling prowling around seeking someone to devour. We need to be aware uh, of Him. Mm -hmm. Much of the sorrow and misery we experience in this life is almost certainly delivered to us today by Satan and demons, Mm -hmm. though their activities are hidden from
0: our sight. Andy, can I ask a question? Yeah, sure. Um, is, Is Satan's hatred, are we collateral damage? Does he hate us, or does he just hate God? And he hates what God loves, which is us. I think it's all of the above. Okay. All you know, right. He's just
1: a, he's a he's a being filled with hate. Gotcha. You're right. Yep. I think his primary hatred is at God and he can't get at him. What can he do? Oh, that, God's yeah. in the heavenlies. He's well, so yeah. far above so he he attacks us so uh that he can attack God.
0: Yeah. But when when someone uh, says that I'm I'm following, you know, I'm a satanic worshiper. I think to myself, mm. Well, that's really sad because you've if you've turned yourself over to the Prince of Darkness, he's probably only mm. gonna mock you. <laughs> mm. I mean, mm. There's no fellowship there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: But I think it's it's vital for us to and I I I think I've only begun to really uh, comprehend this, this hedge of protection. Um, God is constantly I, I look on the demons at this point, the image I have in my mind is that they're in a maze and they're going straight, 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 and then there's certainly suddenly an opening to the right and they turn. Mm-hmm. And 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 then they go down there and they do some damage down that corridor and suddenly the wall, um, you know, slams shut, and then another door opens and they and they flood in that direction. And who is that's opening and closing? It's God, and He's orchestrating these things and controlling them. If He just pulled away all the walls and 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 they were just free, I, I don't think even we could even comprehend the carnage and the suffering and the in the misery. But God is actively controlling and and sheltering and protecting and and achieving His ends. So that hedge of protection is well worth us meditating on. This God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But with the temptation, we'll make a way of escape so that we can bear it.
0: Yeah, Amen. All right, number four. Number four.
1: When suffering comes, res- respond like Job did. Mm. He's our role model. You know, that is what James says. We've uh, we consider the patience of Job and. And so at the end of the book, God commended Job, saying he spoke of me what is right. And I think most likely this is what he meant. In Job chapter 1, he said this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So imitate Job. Do not charge God with wrongdoing. God never does anything wrong, ever. And do not charge God with injustice. God's commitment to justice is infinite. He crushed his own son on the cross rather than let sinners like you and me into heaven without our sins dealt with. That's how committed God is to justice. Now, Job didn't have that yet, that information, but we do. And we know that God can never be unjust. We should never charge him with wrongdoing. Uh, So speak words of praise, sing to him. Yes, weep before him, pour out your pain to him. The Psalms give us lots of ways to complain before the Lord, but it's different than accusing God of wrongdoing. Pouring out your complaint is good, but accusing God of wrongdoing is not. And so, again, in the second chapter, he said to his wife, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? So what a mature view of life. God wisely brings us a mix of good and of trouble, and he knows what he's doing to get us through this world and finally into heaven. That's so good. All right, number five? Number five, expect God to use the suffering to probe you, expose you, and convict you. Uh, The trial, as I said, went on much longer than Job wanted, and that's why he began to decay in his piety. He began to say harsh things against God. Um, I remember at one uh, point in Job 9, he basically accuses God of driving some kind of secret delight in crushing his people. And that is just such a perverted view of God. That's just not true. God is deeply compassionate toward us, and he only reluctantly brings sorrows into our lives and afflictions. Um, but that's the point to which Job got. And so the trial tends to push hidden sinful attitudes to the surface, and God's going to use the suffering to probe us and to expose us and ultimately to convict us. The trial's going to go on. The cancer goes on longer than we want. The the, the other issues that we face... Job said in Job 7, verse 17 through 20, What is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone, even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, O watcher of men? He's talking to God. Uh, Why have you made me your target? So that's God's intense focus on us. And Job wanted a break from it. Um, but Job was being probed um, to the depths of his being. And in the end, he repented of his sins of harsh attitudes toward God. In Job 40, he said, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice, but I'll say no more. So sometimes we have to put our hands over our mouths and not say the thing that's bubbling to the surface. Mm. And, and then in the end, he said uh, to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things that were too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen to me now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I mean, if we could get built to that point in our lives where we have that kind of brokenness over sin, that is a good thing. Yeah, so true. Yeah. All right, number six, develop a deep, powerful sense of the overwhelming majesty of God. As I said, there's no book um, that I've studied that does this, that delivers the greatness, the majesty of God, like the book of Job does. Uh, the verse I mentioned earlier was Job 1311. Would not his splendor terrify you? Would not dread of him fall upon you? So think about if you were Job and God appears in a whirlwind, in a hurricane, and speaks powerfully. And Bill, isn't it interesting that he did that rather than the the gentle, still small voice like he used with Elijah? Mm -hmm. You would have thought if any fragile, broken person ever needed the still small voice, it would be Job. But God knew what Job needed, and he spoke to him powerfully out of a whirlwind, and it worked. so Um, amazing. You know? He said who is this that darkens my counsel by speaking words without knowledge brace yourself like a man i will question you and you shall answer me where were you when i laid the foundations of the earth tell me since you understand and who marked off its dimension surely you know who stretched out a measuring line across it on what were its footing set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Wow. I mean, I just think we all are so into the imminence, the closeness of God. God is our friend. We forget the majesty of God and the infinite majesty that's above us, that we would fall down before him as we would if God showed up in glory. We would be on our faces. They always were. Everyone was. And so that we
0: would fall down before the God of this text and worship him. Mm. All right. We've got, I think, four more. So let's take a very short break. We'll be right back with Pastor Andy Davis as we're continuing our discussion on Job. Pastor Andy Davis. He is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Durham, North Carolina. We're talking about Job. I'm talking fast right now because he's got four more lessons that he wants to share, and I want to make sure we get him in. But also, uh, you're going to want to go right to the beginning of this. If you've missed any of this, if you just climbed in your car, trust me, go to the beginning. Make sure you hear all of it. All right, let's go back to number seven, Andy.
1: Number seven, don't ever question God's love, justice, or
0: wisdom. Uh, Satan
1: predicted that he could make Job curse God to his face, and then his wife's Job's wife was actually Satan's mouthpiece when she said, curse God and die. As the trial wore on, Job's negative attitudes toward God become more and more pronounced and sometimes even more and more shocking. I mentioned Job 9.23, when a scourge brings sudden death, he, meaning God, mocks the despair of the innocent. That's just not the God of the Bible. But it shows what happens when we get into suffering. We can get a twisted view of God. Uh, the essence of suffering uh, well is to never charge God with wrongdoing, to never forget in the dark what we've learned in the light, that God is perfect and good and wise and loving. Number eight, do not expect here on earth a full explanation of your suffering. Job never got one. Uh, no, I, I think we, as we read it, we can see some things going on, but Job didn't know. God. Uh, and Job was asking God why, and he never got an answer to his why question. Uh, and actually, God said to Job in Job forty-one, eleven: Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything no. under heaven belongs to me. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us an explanation. Uh, and so, do not expect on earth a full exp- explanation or an understanding of your suffering. Number nine, probably the most important of all: Know that in Christ, in Jesus Christ. You have a perfect mediator and redeemer. All roads lead ultimately to Christ. Uh, Job yearned for a mediator. In Job 9, he said, if only there were someone to arbitrate between us, someone to lay his hand upon us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. That's Jesus who does that. Jesus steps in between as a mediator. And then beautifully, Job 19, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. And so ultimately, uh, Jesus is the answer to all of these things. Because Christ has risen from the dead. We know that this world is not all there is. Resurrection and eternity in heaven, free from death, mourning, crying, and pain, is the answer to all of these deeper questions. And then finally, 10, know that in heaven, God will perfectly restore, vindicate, bless, and I believe educate you. Mm. Job died old and full of years, but we know from the New Testament that was not the end of his story. In heaven, God has been completing Job's education in his own glory. Job's true wealth is in heaven. His redeemed children can never be taken from him. There will be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain for him or for them. Job is perfectly vindicated before all the redeemed as a hero of the faith. In radiant glory he will shine for all eternity, and so will it be with us. And we'll find out in heaven, God had a perfect reason for every suffering he ever brought in our lives.
0: Don't stop talking, Andy. I can't get enough of this, this discussion on Job. I ser- Seriously, I, I cannot wait to go study Job some more.
1: Yeah, it's a good book. It's so it's so rich, um, and my desire is to—I want to write all these things in my next book, hopefully. Um, that's what I'm going to sketch out and work on, but it's not written yet, just the sermon.
0: Well, please write it, and I'll have you back on the show. You can come on, <laughs> on the show anytime you want. You know, I, I have heard people—when you hear expressions, and Rosie and I were talking about this earlier before we started this interview, that we'll sometimes have people say, oh, I'm going through a real Job-like experience— when you hear that, what is your thought when you hear that? No, you're not. <laughs> I mean, we can't. That was my thought, too. Shoes. We can't carry his shoes. However,
1: I still think um, there's some compassion. I mean, God, people, people are at different levels. Some people stronger, some, some weaker. And so, what, what would be a minor trial for some kind of mighty warrior of faith, a man or woman who's strong in the faith, for another person, it's devastating. And God knows that. So it's all relative, I, I think, to where we're at. God is very wise in this, and He knows um, how we're suffering and struggling, and He's compassionate.
0: Mm-hmm. When I've studied Job, I've always thought, isn't it interesting that Satan and his fallen angels are still somehow allowed access to heaven?
1: Mm, yeah, but it's a middle heaven thing. I, don't okay. think, I think God's in the highest heavens. Cause, and the reason I say that is it says in the book of James that demons believe and shudder. So that, that means that God's not immediately apparent to them. They have to believe in God. And so that's why they do all the stuff that they do. When Jesus shows up in the Gospels, they're terrified of him, terrified of him. What's interesting is the demoniac of the Gadarenes, uh, the, the legion of demons, comes to Jesus. He doesn't run away from him, and he knows there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. And so if he's going to beg him, drive us into the pig's he's got to go throw himself before Jesus. So the demons are terrified of Jesus. Um, and it's just it's just a powerful thing to see.
0: Mm-hmm. And it reminds me that he is not accountable to us, we are accountable to him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He does not owe us an explanation, but I do believe, and I wrote this in my book on heaven, he will give us full education. We will see his reasons why. Not that he owes it to us, but just in his grace he gives it to us. What does he say to Abraham before destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? God wants to reveal
0: his purposes to his children. hmm One of the things I've picked up from this hour, which I picked up many things, Andy, but one of the things is the idea that God appeared to Job in a whirlwind and mm-hmm. amazing given his state of mind and body mm-hmm. that he wouldn't show up in a more gentle, soft whispering voice. Yeah. Uh, given the amount of suffering that he had gone through. Yeah. Yet he knew, like you said, what Job needed. And I have to realize that God is always going to do and provide things that we need, Absolutely. and just to be open to receiving from him everything that comes in our lives, whether we oh, like it or not. Word. Such a good word. That is so true. I've never, yeah, thanks for saying that. <laughs> yeah. I, I usually let my guests you. say all the good words. I don't really have that many, but... <laughs> No, that
1: was good. Yeah, and just trusting, he knows. He knows what he's doing. He's not going to press on us more heavily than we can bear, um, and he is a wise counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. And so, when he got done counseling Job out of the whirlwind, Job was healed.
0: Yeah, I took a couple of notes. I took so many notes, a whole page of notes here. But there was at one point when he appeared in the whirlwind that Job, mm-hmm. I think you said, had a response to him that he is. Uh, seen God or seen the face of God or something like that, and I thought, "Whoa, no one's seen the face of God." Yeah, yeah. he says, "I've heard of you with
1: my ears, but now my eyes have seen you." Yeah, what does and I that think mean? What it is? It's a theophany. Um, okay. I think God God reveals Himself in different ways, but the Scripture does reveal that that we cannot see Him and live. Uh, But in heaven, we will. It says in Revelation 22, they, the redeemed, will see his face. So when we're in our resurrection bodies and we have resurrected minds and hearts, we'll be able to see the full glory of God and live. Um, But what Job saw was uh, a theophany, a revelation of God's glory. I also think that I've heard of you with the ear, but now my eye has seen you sums up what our heavenly experience will be like. Uh, Now we just hear, we hear words. We read the Scripture and we hear. You and I have been talking words to each other, words of truth from Scripture, but they're still just
0: words. In heaven, we'll see face to face. What has been one of your favorite takeaways from the study that you did on Job and the 31 sermons you preached?
1: Yeah, the infinite majesty of Christ okay. and what He's given us, the, the resurrection hope. Uh, it was Athanasius that said that Old Testament saints did not have the clear view of the glory of the resurrection that we have now. And so he was the one that that led me to that meditation of, of we have a better hope than Job. Job just didn't have the information that we have. He doesn't have the he didn't have the promises. Mm-hmm. We have we have John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Job hadn't heard those words. He yeah. didn't have those promises. Yeah. But we do.
0: But we do. Job's wife said that he was a man of integrity, so he must have really been a man of integrity if his wife said that. Why do you think yes. that the wife survived all of the, the death and destruction?
1: Yeah, she's an interesting character. We don't know much about her, but um, God replaced the ten children of ten other children. And I talk a lot about that in one of my last sermons. You, one child doesn't ever replace another. But if all of Job's ten children were outwardly pious, because he's concerned that they had cursed God in their hearts, so he's got to, you know, I think it may well be that all ten of them are redeemed. And so mm-hmm. he ends up having all of his blessings doubled. All of his herds and flocks are doubled except his children, but maybe they are. Mm-hmm. The, the original 10 were waiting for him in heaven, and then the next 10, perhaps they're with him as well. Uh, the, the wife, we don't have anything said about her, just that he had 10 other children. Yeah. And so, you know, I have good hopes for her that she learned her lesson. It was a very low point for her. Yeah. Like I said, she was effectively
0: Satan's mouthpiece, curse God and die. Mm-hmm. Andy, I love God more now than I did an hour ago. Oh, then it's been time well spent. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for doing the show. And I look forward to having you back on again I look soon. Forward to that. Yeah. I thank look you to so that. much. Thank you, Bill. Yeah. Pastor Andy Davis has been our guest talking about Job, of course. If you missed any, please go listen to myfaithradio.com. Check out the podcast. Send it to a friend. I know it's been a blessing for me. I hope you as well. I hope you have a great night. Guy Talk is tomorrow. Pastor Rusty George will be joining me. Look forward to spending time with you. See you then. Mm-hmm.